Let me just begin by sharing a true story. Um, I lived in Korea from 2010 to 2017, um, and you know, I was a, serving as a pastor there. And one Friday, we had a pastoral staff meeting, uh, and the church building is actually you know, next to like a main road, but also some narrow streets. And right across the street, there's a Paris baguette. And uh, I got to the meeting early, so I went to go get some breakfast. I grabbed myself a tray, um, picked up some food. You guys have been to Paris Baguette, right? You know, that wooden tray. So I picked up some, some bread, and I went to wait online. And there were two ladies in front of me. One lady was at the counter paying, and the other lady in front of me. And after the lady paid, and she's leaving, all of a sudden, this other woman just comes out of nowhere, cuts the line, and she throws her tray onto the counter, and she says, hurry up. You know, register this, or, you know, whatever you call it. What do you call that? Well, you know, ring it up, ring it up, right? But in Korean, it's like, you know, it's in Korean. So me and the lady are like, what in the world? Like, what? And then she's, you know, so the, so the lady behind the counter is like, okay, okay. And she's like, you know, ringing it up, putting it in. And she had quite a few, like, you know, baguettes and stuff like that. And she's putting it in. And then she begins to, like, bark at the lady. She goes, what's wrong with you? Don't you know how to work? Hurry up. Pick it up. And I'm just like, what in the world? And so finally the lady goes, tickling, it costs this much. The lady throws the money on the counter. He goes, here, grabs the bag, and then walks out. And as she's walking out, all I could think is, please don't go into the church. Please don't go into the church. Please. And sure enough, she crosses the street, and she goes right into the church. And the lady at the register looking at, watches her leave, and then she looks at us, she's like, and you know, when I saw, when I saw that, all I felt was like the fiery eyes of judgment, you know? Like, like I'm, I have no part of that. that. That's not me. I mean, that's, that's not what the church is about. I'm ashamed. I, I have nothing to do with you. And that's what I felt. Now, perhaps some of you can identify with that kind of shame or that feeling or disappointment. You've been in church and you've interacted with church members. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the people. And you've interacted with other church members and you, perhaps you've been hurt. Perhaps you're um, disillusioned or you have resentment at the church or the members in it. So I just want to begin today by asking you, how do you view the church? How do you view community? And I just take a moment to be honest and think about it. And I want, to, I want to just enter into a moment of prayer. Father, thank you for your presence here. I thank you that you love your sons and daughters and you want to speak to them today. Father, there's things that you're revealing to me even as I'm processing this passage and the things you're showing me. And I pray, God, that because you're a good father and because you love us, that you would speak to each and every single one of your children today. Visitors, old-time members, to each of us, God, you would meet us and you would reveal your goodness to us. And our response would be, yes, Lord. We will love you. We will serve you. We thank you, Lord God, for just this word and pray that you anoint me so I can speak just what you want me to say, Lord, and give you all glory and honor. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And if you've been in the church for any time, you've heard this passage before you've read it. Um, but this is actually on the day of Pentecost. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit comes upon the 150 believers in the upper room. There's crowds of Jews that have come from all over for Pentecost to worship at the temple. Peter preaches this powerful gospel message and saying, repent and turn away from this wicked uh, generation and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. And it says that 3,000 were added to their number that day. Beautiful, powerful picture of the gospel message going forward. 
And then we come to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God's word to us today. Please take a moment to look at that yourself. Now, how many of you, as you read this, want our community to be like this? Can you raise your hands? Okay, like maybe like a quarter of you guys. <laughs> All right. I thought there would be more, honestly. Because I think maybe some of you really go like day by day, like every day after meet, mm, sell all my possessions. Mm. No, right? Okay, just being honest. But if for those of us who say we do want to be, look like this, what is it going to take for us to become like this? What's it going to take for us to become this kind of church? Or at least the way it's shown here. You know, um, I used to think of Acts chapter 2 here as a prescriptive way to get the modern church, at least the church that I'm a part of, to become like this idyllic, awesome church that we read about here. Like if we can just get everyone devoted to the apostles' teaching. And I don't mean just like, oh, I know the Bible is important, but like, like Greece devoted, you know, like looking in the water, you see in the reflection of John Travolta, hopelessly devoted to you. Like that kind of devoted, like everywhere you look, it's just the word of God. Giving ourselves to it. Like if we could just get everyone devoted, if we can just perform signs and wonders like the apostles, if we can have all these things in common, really having one heart together, if we can get our members to sell their possessions and belongings and distribute the proceeds to all the members who are in need, if we could just get them to do that, if we can just get everyone to meet together day by day in the church, in the buildings or in the homes and receive the food together, eat with glad and generous hearts, if we can just do this praising God, then God will add to our numbers day by day those who are being saved. If we could just do that, then we will be the church. Then we'll be at least the church that we're proud to be a part of then. However, as I've been a, a born-again Christian for over three decades now, in my study of God's Word, as well as church history, I realized that Acts chapter 2, what we just read, is not prescriptive. Do this and this and this. Rather, it's descriptive. Dr. Luke, the writer of Luke and Acts, he was one who traveled, a companion of Apostle Paul, He's simply providing historical accounts of what was happening in the fledgling body of believers. He's simply telling the facts, this is what's happening. Now, don't get me wrong. Acts chapter 2, it's a beautiful thing. It's something that I desire and I hope that I will witness one, one day in my life as a follower of Christ. I really wish to see it. And I think all of us kind of do. We read the life of Jesus, just how awesome he is. And we see the description of the early church here in Acts chapter 2 with all its wonder and awe. We hear sermons about it, the importance of church and community. And then what happens is we then expect that our lives will look the same and our church will look the same. And sometimes it does. But many times it doesn't. 
pastors, elders, members caught up in sin. There's politicking for power. Others in the church who stir up division and gossip. Others live hypocritically. And then we look at our own spirituality. It's not matching up to what we expect from Scripture. And we are let down. We become disillusioned. We become disheartened. And understandably so, because in a sense, we expect that Christians should live this way and the church should be different. Because we, again, we look at Acts chapter 2. And oftentimes, the deepest hurts comes from expectations that are unmet. We expect it, but it doesn't happen. And so we get hurt. Now, herein lies the danger when we think of Acts chapter 2 as prescriptive. That as a pastor, Pastor Dave, myself, and other pastors and church leaders, we sometimes want it to happen so badly that we can actually try to force it to happen. We can try to fabricate or create systems thinking that somehow we can strategize and make the church like this. And we'll force, we'll manipulate, we'll fabricate, we'll grandize it because we're trying to do it with our own strength. Inevitably, somebody gets hurt. But the bigger danger, or perhaps the bigger or greater danger, is that when we see the church, I'm talking about the member, not talking about the building, but when we see the members, we see each other not reflecting what we think the church should look like, we become so disheartened that we give up on church. We become so disillusioned that we'll maybe attend service, but we'll sit on the sidelines with kind of like our arms folded, like they're going to fail, this is going to flop. And when it does, like, see? I told you so. Or worse yet, we just leave. We up and leave the church. In other words, what we're doing is we're giving up on each other. We're giving up on each other. So I kind of want to take a moment to just kind of unpackage this a little bit because when we read Acts chapter 2, we just think this is the way the church should be. And to a certain degree, I want it to be like that. But what happens is when you only look at Acts chapter 2, you don't Look at the rest of Acts. Acts chapter 5, only two chapters later, there are two members, Ananias and Sapphira, and they're already tainting the work of the Holy Spirit, trying to gain power by greed and manipulation. They're trying to fool the church so they can grab a position, but God judges them immediately. He kills them. But that doesn't stop it from happening again and again and again, even to this day. We see Acts chapter 6, three chapters later, that the church is almost brought into a split because the Hebraic Jewish widows, which means the Jewish widows who speak Hebrew, are having disagreements with the Greek-speaking Jewish um, widows that are called the Hellenists. And so what's happening is the Hebraic Jewish widows are getting the distribution of food first, and as a result, the Hellenistic Jewish widows are not getting food. They're getting overlooked. That's discrimination in the early church. Even you and I today, we would not allow that to happen. But this is what we see happening in the early church. And the Apostle Paul, thank God for the, uh, Apostle, thank God for the apostles, they say, pick seven men among you who will take care of the distribution of the food. Godly men. And thank God God handles it. But we see this happening in the early church. In Acts chapter 10, there's many more things. I'll just give you two more. In Acts chapter 10, 
Apostle Peter, who could probably be known as one of the head apostles, he actually rejects God's command. Remember, Jesus tells him in a dream, he opens up a picnic blanket, there's all these kinds of different animals, and he says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And what does Peter say? No, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean or common. Like, can you say no to the Lord? What? That doesn't even go together, those two words. But this is the leader acting in rebellion and lack of subjugation to Jesus. And what Jesus was trying to show Peter is, Peter, the gospel is not just for you Jews. It's for the Gentiles too. Open your heart. Open the gospel. Open the church. And Peter's like, no, no, that's not the way we do it. That's not the way I grew up. That's not it. And Jesus had to correct them. And then in Acts chapter 15, the dynamic duo of Apostle Paul and Barnabas. On the first missionary journey, all these nations that they go to and they preach the gospel, they plant churches, you know, thousands are being saved. They come back to Antioch, the Syrian church, Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians, they're worshiping together, eating together, fellowshipping. Amen. There's a starting point there. <laughs> Apostle Peter comes from Jerusalem to check out what's happening in the church in Syria, uh, uh, the Antioch church. And when he arrives, he's eating with them and fellowshipping with the Jewish and the Gentile Christians. But then all of a sudden, sometime later, Judaizers from the Jerusalem church, these are Jewish Christians who still say you have to abide by the Old Testament laws, comes and he says to Peter, Peter, what are you doing? You're breaking the Old Testament laws by eating with Gentiles. And what happens? Peter goes, oh. And he stops associating with the Gentile Christians. So much so was that deception that even Barnabas came along. These are the leaders. And they're already bringing discrimination and separation and division. And then Apostle Paul has to rebuke them. What are you doing, Peter? Why are you acting like a Gentile? You know we're not saved by our race. We're saved by faith in Christ. And then just before Barnabas and Paul are about to go on their second missionary journey, to impact the world, to preach the gospel, they get into a disagreement. Barnabas wants to take Mark. Paul says, no, Mark left us before he abandoned us. I'm going to take him. And there was such a sharp disagreement that they split. One of the most painful early church splits. So we see all these things happening in the early church. Sometimes we want to grandize, idealize, and kind of say, like, this is the way the church should be, but we forget about all these other things. It's enough when we look at these kinds of things to say, what happened to the Acts 2 church? What happened to it? And this is the answer. People happened to it. You, me, us. With all our brokenness, with all our entitlements, with all our unwillingness to commit and submit to Christ in His ways, in every aspect of our lives, we happen to the church because we are the church. Now some of you may be saying, Maybe you, Pastor Doug, maybe you got some problems, but not me. I'm an ideal disciple of Christ. I never sin. I never fail. I always think of others first. In everything I do, I do it Christ's way. If that's you, praise God. Seriously, keep on, please. We need you. But I think for the majority of us, if we're honest, and if there was a camera that followed us 24-7 and filmed everything we did, but not only did, but thought, I think we can all honestly say, I'm a reason why we don't see an Acts 2 church. I'm a reason why the church is broken, because the church is us, broken people. Oftentimes, when we see brokenness, again, we cross our arms, just watch passively. We won't commit. 
I understand sometimes we got hurt. And so you just want to keep your distance. But sometimes what happens is when we see a broken church, we go, you know what, I'm going to find something better. I'm going to go shopping, go look for another church. But let me encourage you with something. There's a saying, if you're looking for a perfect church and you find it, don't go there because you'll mess it up. <laughs> so here's the thing. With all of our failures, hopefully we can all acknowledge that with all of our brokenness, with all of our flaws, Jesus doesn't give up on his church. Jesus doesn't give up on his church. He doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on us. He has not abandoned us, even like our sister Grace says. He is with us. He is for us. Do you know that there is no plan B? There's only a plan A that Jesus came and he gave his life for the church, that the church would bring his gospel to the ends of the earth. That's plan A. There's no plan B for Jesus. He has not given up on us. Let us, therefore, not give up on Jesus and let us not give up on his community. That's not. What I want to do for the next portion is just to share with you a little bit about how much Jesus cherishes his church, you and me. In Matthew 16, verse 13 to 18, Jesus, you know, like in the, kind of the middle of his three-year ministry, he calls his disciples to him and he goes, I've been with you guys for a year and a half now. And he asks them, what do people, what do others say about me? And they, they say, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, others say you're a prophet. And then Jesus asked a more poignant question. Who do you say that I am? That's actually the question. Who do you say Jesus is? And then Peter responds like this. He says, you are the son of God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says it. And then verse 17, I have the passage up here. Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The rock that he's going to build his church on is not Peter, even though Peter's name is Petros, little rock. That rock he's talking about is that profession, that confession that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the foundation, the cornerstone. That he came to this world and gave his life that we might be redeemed to the Father. That's the rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. Pastor Dave is not building this church. I'm not building this church. We're just a part of it. We're just invited along. It's Jesus who will build this church. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell is just another descriptive way of saying sin and death and enemies. Sin, death, and all enemies will not prevail against the church. Now think about this. If Jesus just died and was buried and is still in the tomb, he's still dead, the church has no hope. But as we believe that Jesus was crucified, buried, and on the third day he rose again, victorious over sin, death, and the enemy, then what he says is true. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He has more than enough power to sustain his church. It will not be easily broken, though we are broken. It will endure. You know the word of God says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And as I look at scripture, you know what the other thing that never passes away is? The church. 
What you see in Revelation is the church is there. That's you and me who are believers in Christ. That's how powerful, that's how important, essential the church is to Christ. How do you see the church? How do you see your brothers and sisters next to you who are believers in Christ? How do you see them? I will give you one more. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. You know, this is the marriage passage. Whenever you have a marriage ceremony, they usually use this passage. It says this, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Paul understood that just as the Lord gave himself up and sanctified himself, sanctified his bride, the church, cleansed her, washed her, made her spotless, clothed in splendor, so husbands do the same to your wives. Jesus calls the church his bride. I have a wife, my bride. I love her. She's beautiful to me. If any of you guys said anything negative about my wife, we would have some words. We would. But imagine what we're saying when we talk about the church, his bride. I remember, I don't know if it was a cartoon. I remember there was this kind of like thing where there was a kind of a goofy guy and he would be like this and then his friend would keep punching himself like this. He goes, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. In a sense, when we put down the church, that's what we're doing to ourselves because we are the church. It's his bride. When Jesus looks at his church, you and me, what does he see? What does he see? Obviously, of course, he sees our sins. He sees our failures and our flaws. But instead of giving up and throwing in the towel, he gave everything of himself. He didn't pull back. He gave everything. And every single day, again and again, he covers us in his glorious grace and mercy. And he calls us sanctified, spotless, holy, without blemish. He calls us his beloved. How do you see the church? How do you see? There was a, a, a pastor who used to be with YWAM, and God called him to pastor a church up in the Seattle area, like Washington, kind of the outskirts. And he just didn't really know about the church, but he obeyed, he went there. And the first Sunday he was preaching, he realized it was pretty much empty, and all that was there was like a few people with white hair, which means that they're older, right? And so in his mind, he's like, this church is, is going to be gone soon because they, they don't have much time left. So when he goes, he goes, God, what should I do? So he just felt like God says, go out on the streets, like near the church, and just start walking and start praying. So he went out, and he realized that the street that the church was on was like biker bar, like biker bar, biker bar, strip club, biker bar, restaurant. It was like this. I was like, oh, my gosh, no one nobody at this church. So he's like, God, what should I do? So he came up, and he saw, saw this one motorcycle, and he's looking at it, and there's a biker guy sitting on it with like tattoos all over, you know. And he goes, oh, that's a nice bike. How many cc's? He goes, oh, and he started talking. And he goes, how do you know about bikes? He goes, oh, I love motorcycles. And he's like, what do you do? I was like, I'm a pastor. And the guy, motorcycle's like, you're a pastor? Why are you talking to me? He goes, you know, let's have grab coffee. And the guy came, started building a friendship, and that guy started coming to church. And he started bringing his biker friends to church. And you can imagine the people who were originally there, like, mm-hmm, that's a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and then, but the church is growing. And all of a sudden, I don't know how long he was into the, his, his uh, pastorate there, uh, one of the elders you know, comes to his door, knocks on the door in the office, and he goes, Pastor, I got something to say to you. I was like, yes. He goes, you know there's uh, those three young ladies that always come like, after the praise and sit in the back? 
And then they leave, like right at, at the end of the sermon. He goes, yeah, I know. He goes, did you know that they were strippers? And he's like, no. How did you know? And he goes, well, anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, our, our wives have found out that they're strippers, and they don't want any part of that in the church. So you need to tell them to leave. And if you don't, then we will. And so the pastor said, well, calm down. Let, let me just pray. Let me pray, and let me see what God would want us to do. And, and I'll let you know by next Thursday. And he's like, well, you better answer. You know, so Elder walks out. He goes. He talks to his wife. He goes, honey, there's these three ladies, and apparently they're strippers, but they've been coming, and, you know, whatever. And so she, he said, Let's, can you pray with me? Let's pray. So they're just praying and praying. And then, like, Wednesday comes around, and then he asks his wife, honey, what do you feel like God's saying to you? And then she said, I feel like God's saying to me, don't touch them. They're mine. And he goes, that's exactly what I felt. So that Thursday, the elder comes back and goes, what's your decision, pastor? And he goes, I feel like the Lord is saying, don't touch her, she's mine. And he's like, oh, you, you're going to see, they're going to lead the, the men astray, you're going to see. He's like, okay. So week after week, they're still coming, and then what the pastor would do, he would offer people, anybody who wants to come to the front and give a testimony about what God's doing, please come forward. And so this day, one of those three ladies stands up and she walks to the front. And she grabs the mic and she's like stuttering. She's like shaking. And she goes, um, ever since I was 14, I lived on the streets because my mother's boyfriend used to abuse me and so I left home. And I didn't know what to do, so I pretended that I was 18 and I got a job as a stripper. Um, three years ago, I met this guy and I, I fell in love with him, but he just used me and then I got pregnant and I have a three-year-old daughter. And she goes, you know, I've been coming to this church now and I've been hearing the message about Jesus and I believe in Jesus. And I, so, I feel really ashamed for what I do. So I just pray. I said, Jesus, please forgive me for what I'm doing. So when I go and I dance, I just close my eyes and I'm just pretending, I'm, imagine I'm just dancing in front of the mirror. But I don't know what to do and you're the only family that I have. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to take care of my, my kid. You see, they saw her kind of like the way the world sees her. But as she shared her brokenness, and as God was moving, all of a sudden, one gentleman stood up and goes, whatever you're getting paid, I will match that, and I will give you a job in my company. And then another lady stood up and goes, if your rent is too much, you can come and stay in one of my apartments, and you don't have to worry about rent. You and your daughter can have a one-bedroom, and you don't have to worry about it. And all of a sudden, these people are just coming up around her and just hugging her. And I was like, yes. As a church, they finally stopped looking at people the way they look at it and started to see them the way God sees them. The way God sees them. He does not abandon her. You know, I realized something. If you and I, if we will continue to seek the Lord to know how he sees us and how he sees others, then we will start to mature. I think about it now. When that lady went into that you know, church and I was so angry and judgmental, that's immaturity. That's actual immaturity because that's not how Christ would respond. Maturity or Christ-likeness would actually have gone to look for her and asked her, what's going on? You seem so angry. You seem so agitated. What's going on? And I wouldn't be surprised if she says, my son is sick. He's in the hospital. And then all of a sudden, the person who was supposed to pick up food just asked me to do it. They, should, they couldn't go because they're on vacation. I just was so, so frustrated. If we can ask God, God, show us show us and move our hearts to see the church the way you see the church, then it will change the way we treat our church and the way we treat each other and ourselves. 
You know, I know that some of you have been hurt by church. I know that some of you have been uh, in pain by church. And even if you try to go up to them who hurt you, they might not change. Some of you have hurt people. But here's the thing. If you are a disciple of Christ, you are still part of the church. And you're still called to give your life to follow Christ, but also to be a disciple that goes and makes disciples of others in Christ-likeness. There's no such thing as a perfect church. If you try to look for a perfect church, you're not going to find it. In fact, community, as Pastor Dave says, community is not a commodity. You can't go shopping for it. You have to give yourself to it. You have to give yourself to it and see how God will transform that. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we have a choice whether to be part of the building up of the church or to be tearing down. You say, well, I'm not doing either. No, no, there's no such thing. Either you're building it up or you're slowly atrophying and tearing it down. I pray that you and I, we would choose to be on the side of Christ because he will not give up on his church. And he is and will make the church spotless and victorious. If we see ourselves as Jesus sees us, if we see our church with the eyes and the heart of Christ, then our response will be, Lord, let me know you more. Let me know your word. Let me know how to pray for one another, to share with each other, to be one together, to eat together, fellowship, to be in community, and to preach the gospel to those around us as well. May we be the church that knows, that knows how to see each other because of the way Jesus sees us. Let's pray together.